Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must remain with us, must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. And may God add his rich blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we thank you for your holy word. And we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and that you would speak to us. And that you would uh, lift up our eyes and open them that we might see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We pray that the sheep would hear the voice of the good shepherd and know him and follow him and offer ourselves to him properly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Be careful what you wish for. In this passage, the Philistines have won they have defeated the Israelites and they believe it proves that their God has defeated the God of Israel. Now you remember that the Israelites had foolishly raided the tabernacle and took the Ark of the Covenant from the Holy of Holies and carried it into battle in the hope that it would bring them good fortune. And they lost it. They lost the battle, and the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. 
And so now they take the ark of the God they believe their God has defeated and put it in the temple of their God, Dagon. This is an act of subjugation or domination. It's a sign of what they believe to be the inferiority of the God of Israel. So they got what they wanted. They defeated the Israelites and put the ark of their God in the temple of Dagon. They got what they wanted. But you know there's an old saying. Be careful what you wish for. Most of you know the rest of the story. But now, let's look at it and see what happened when the Philistines got what they wished for. First in this passage, we see the only true God. The only true God. Look at verse 1. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then... The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod this day. Now Philistines, as many of the ancient heathen, believed that each nation or tribe or region had its own god. The Philistines actually believed in the God of Israel. Turn back a page to 1 Samuel 4. Look at verse 7. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptian with every sort of plague in the wilderness. The Philistines believed in the God, or gods as they saw it, of the Israelites. They believed that Israel had mighty gods. They heard the news. They knew what had happened in Egypt. They knew what the God of Israel was capable of. But now they defeated Israel and captured the ark. So they believe that they have defeated the God of Israel. And they are good, sincere, religious pagans. They don't take credit. They don't take glory for themselves. They give the glory. They give the credit to their God, Dagon. They knew they couldn't beat the God of Israel by themselves. Our God, Dagon, must have given us the victory. So they give him glory and praise for beating Jehovah. 
And we know what happens. The Lord teaches the Philistines a theology lesson. We call it monotheism. There is only one God. Isaiah 45, verse 22, the Lord says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. There is only one true God. Ten years ago, were I preaching this passage, I would have taken the time to apply this Scripture to the fact that all the other world religions are false and idolatrous, and you all know that in this congregation. But today, the movement is not so much toward the equalizing of all religions, like that old coexist bumper sticker that had all religious symbols on it. Today, in our society, the trend is toward secularism. Specifically, there is a very strong trend toward statism in our time. Statism is the deification of the state. In plain English, that is putting the government in the place of God. The strong trends toward socialism and even Communism in our day are modern forms of idolatry that elevate an all-powerful central government to divine status. Throughout our land, people are dependent on the federal government for things that Jesus himself tells us to depend on our Heavenly Father for. Now, we need government. Bible says government is a gift from God and we are to honor and obey those in authority and pay our taxes, but we are to worship and trust and depend on no God but Jehovah. And to teach the Philistines that there was no other God, the Lord took their God down. The next morning, they went in the temple of Dagon and he was down, prostrated on the ground before Jehovah. You see the irony, you see the humor in this passage. They brought the ark in to symbolize that Dagon had beaten Jehovah. But here, Dagon is in a position of worship before the ark. Jehovah is not in subjection to Dagon. Dagon is in subjection to Jehovah in his own house. So the 
worshipers of Dagon set him back up. But the next day, he's back down, and this time his hands and his feet are cut off. Because God will not share his glory with another. We see the only true God. Secondly, in this passage, we see the independence of God. The independence of God. Look at verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. Again, there is more humor in this passage. Do you see? The people have to stand their God back up. Their God, Dagon, he needs them. He can't stand on his own two feet, literally. Now let's think about the situation in Israel. They had lost the battle. They had lost the ark. The priest had died and his daughter-in-law named the baby Ichabod with her dying breath because the glory was gone. They were corrupt. They'd forgotten their God and acted supremely, foolishly, and irreverently and trampled on all that is holy and raiding the tabernacle and taking the ark into battle. And they lost it. And now all looks hopeless. The ark is gone. The Lord's doing fine. He can take care of himself. You see the contrast between Dagon and Jehovah. Dagon, a typical idol depends on his people to come in and pick him back up. The true God, Jehovah, totally independent. Theologians, the good ones that is, a lot of bad ones, the good theologians call it the aseity of God. God is of himself. God doesn't need anyone or anything outside of himself. I remember years ago as a child reading an article on a page of a newsletter that my family received from a church in our town and what I had turned to and was reading was a stewardship report on the giving of the church, giving to the church and and I remember after it, it gave the, the report on the, the giving received that month, it said at the bottom, thank you for responding to God's needs. I'm sure whoever wrote that meant well. But what they wrote was sheer blasphemy. God has no needs of any kind whatsoever. Sometimes Christians who mean well talk as if God will feel lonely or rejected or broken hearted if we do not accept Him. 
If you refuse God, you will go to hell, but it's no skin off his back whatsoever. He doesn't need you or me or anyone else. Preachers are bad to develop a Messiah complex. Act like the church needs them. People need them. God needs them. I one time was assigned to work with a preacher in a bad situation, and I told him, because that was my assignment from the presbytery, I told him it would be best for him, best for his family, best for the church if he would resign. And he said to me, but my people need me. And I said to him, Brother, these people don't need you and God don't need you either and he doesn't need me. That man was wound up as tight as anyone I've ever seen in my life. You start thinking God needs you and the pressure will destroy your life. My friends, there is freedom in the doctrine of the aseity the absolute independence of God. He does not need anyone. We worship the only true God, and the only true God is the independent God. So we see the only true God, we see the independent God, and thirdly and finally in this passage, we see the wrath of God. Look at verse 6. The hand of the Lord was very heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic, and he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Akron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Akron, the people of Akron cried out, they have brought around the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Now, the temple of Dagon, where they had put the ark of God, was in the, in the city of Ashdod. And after the Lord took down Dagon, he then went, the God, after he took down Dagon, he went after the people of Ashdod. They began to develop tumors. And I will say it. Because I'm going to have to talk about it next week. Might as well broach the subject now. It is possible, if not likely, that these tumors were an outbreak of hemorrhoids that killed people. 
So what did they do in Ashdod? Well, they picked a town they didn't like. Gath. Let's send the ark down to Gath. They must not have liked them. Otherwise, why would they have sent the ark down there? He can be a pain in somebody else. <laughs> Same thing happened in Gath. So apparently the people in Gath, they didn't think too highly of the folk down in Ekron, so they sent it down there, and the same thing happened. And so finally in Ekron, they said, we've got to get this thing out of here. Send it back to, to Israel before their God kills every last one of us. Now somebody may be thinking, well, preacher, you just said God was independent. He doesn't need me. Well, if God doesn't need me, why do I need to give him my life and serve him? Why do I have to bother to go worship God? He doesn't need my life. He doesn't need my service. He doesn't need whatever contribution I can give him. He doesn't need my worship. You just said he doesn't need me. Why do I have to bother with him? Well, it's a simple answer to that. He'll kill you if you don't. He did not make us to glorify him because he needs glory. He's got plenty of glory. He made us to glorify him because it is good for us to glorify God. We will destroy ourselves if we do not. Psalm 115, which we will sing in a few moments, says, Their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. In other words, an idol is worthless. It can't do anything. It's got an ear, but it can't hear. It's got an eye, but it can't see. It's got a mouth, but it can't speak. It's got hands, but it can't use them. And then it says, you listen to this, Psalm 115, 8, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. We become just like whatever takes the place of God in our lives. And whatever we put in place of God in our lives will destroy us. You see, the only true God is also the giving God. Someone has said that all the other gods of the world whether another religion or whether your money, your possessions or the government, whatever it is, all the other gods of the world are all takers. And they'll suck the life right out of you. But only the true God is a giver. All the religions of the world teach you what you have to do 
what code you have to follow, whatever it is you have to work up and give to God in order to achieve whatever salvation that God will offer you. But only in the religion of the true God do we read the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only in the book of the true God do we read that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only true God doesn't need a thing from us. But He offers us Himself and His Son. And in the gift of the person of Jesus Christ, He gives every spiritual blessing and supplies every need according to His riches in glory, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is life eternal. That they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. To know the only true God is eternal life. Do you know Him? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. These Philistines were under the wrath of God, and God's wrath is on all the world for our sins. But God so loved the world, the true God, that He gave His Son to endure His wrath in the place of sinners. That He that believeth on the Son might have everlasting life. This is life eternal. To know the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is to be safe, free, shielded from the wrath of God. To be in the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the living and true God. The only God. And He doesn't need us. But oh, how we need Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.